Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Rotato Podcast. On today's show, armed with only one word, tenant, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a CIA operative known only as the protagonist journeys through the twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. And just as a forewarning, since Tenet's still kind of a new movie, we are going to discuss some spoilers, so if you haven't seen Tenet yet, please wait until you've seen the movie to listen to this episode. So without further ado, the Couch Potato Podcast presents to you, Tenet. You're not shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. It's inverted. Someone's manufacturing them in the future. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. Coming to theaters. Watch the new trailer online. All right, welcome back to a, another episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. Joining me, as always, is producer Adam. Adam, what's happening, man? No, not much. So, not much. We had to juggle the schedule a little bit. Uh, we have a very special guest lined up for the show that we were supposed to do today, uh, but they have issues with uh, sick children, so we kind of pushed that one back. And you and I talked about doing a uh, a movie just to have on standby. And after a little bit of uh, back and forth, uh, you recommended Tenet. Yes. And um, why Tenet? Um, well, uh, I had seen the movie very little since it had come out. Uh, I do own it, um, but I think I only watched it the once after I bought it. Um. And I think I can speak for both of us when I say that Christopher Nolan is one of our favorite directors. Oh, for sure. Um, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't look at it very much in the Christopher Nolan library. I don't pay enough attention to it. And I've only seen it a couple of times. Uh, but I do remember it being a really awesome movie. So I decided, you know what? And it. Well, also... The Academy Awards are in a couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. from the way all the pre-awards are lining up, it pretty much seems to be that Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's latest movie, is going to just clean house at the Academy Awards. Nolan Very should true. get his his overdue Best Director Oscar. It looks like Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture. Uh, Killian Murphy, best actor, looking like Downey Jr. could win best supporting actor. So it looks like it's going to have a very, very good night here in a couple weeks. So I also thought like that'd be a cool, uh, this would be a cool movie to talk about since Oppenheimer's getting ready to sweep the Academy Awards. I believe there's even a reference to Oppenheimer in the movie. So, oh, very cool. I I didn't pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, it's probably because I was trying to figure out the fuck's going on. <laughs> Um, right. Uh, you and I actually seen this movie together. Um, mm-hmm. back in the dark ages known as the uh, the pandemic. I know 
one of our favorite things to do with our circle of friends is go to the movies and we hadn't had a chance to really go see anything in a while. And some movie theater chains were doing this cool option where you could rent out an auditorium. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I remember like when they finally released tenant, I was like, all right, I, I sent out the bat signal. Like, all right, gang, we're going to rent out a fucking theater and watch this. Mm-hmm. And this was uh Chris Nolan's attempt to save the movie industry in 2020. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember really liking it in the movie theater. Uh, I couldn't really mm-hmm. figure it out. Um, it doesn't help that the mix on this movie is really bad. Oh, it's terrible. Um, it seems like he has this fascination and I've noticed it on Dunkirk as well, that sometimes the dialogue gets muddled because he likes to bring like outside noises and it seems like it overpowers the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's so much like it seems that to me, I notice I could be wrong, but it seems to happen a lot during the IMAX sequences. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like an IMAX camera thing. So like I, I enjoyed it. This movie has incredible like action sequences, which Nolan seems to be like the master of at this point. Like it seems like every movie he's done, he's had like just at least one incredible set piece. This one has I would say two for sure, maybe three. But yeah, um, I can think of a couple of different. Yeah. But uh, I waited for this one to come out on home video. I was like you. I bought it. Couldn't wait to watch it. Watched it when it came to. Uh, I think it was. Uh, it was in December because I remember I bought it and hadn't watched it since. So this was kind of a fun revisit. Yeah. Well, yeah. what was your initial uh, impression of seeing Tenet in the theater? I think Nolan's one of those directors. So when that, I... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, So when I saw it in theaters, uh, I was doing the same thing. I was trying to figure it out. And so I don't think I enjoyed it as much in the theater as I did watching it a second time around. Because the second time around, I kind of got what was going on. And I was like, okay, I need to enjoy the movie while it's going. Um, And this last time watching it, I was like, okay, I know what's going on. I know what the set pieces are this time. I'm just along for the ride now. And I think that's probably the best mindset going into Tenet. It's like not trying to figure out the plot, just enjoying it as it's unfolding in front of you. And I think that was kind of what his, uh, his goal was with this movie Mm. because there's a whole lot of, um, skipped exposition and it's mostly action. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that in some movies. I don't think every single movie needs to be explained ad nauseum to enjoy it. I think audiences, uh, tend to, uh, glaze over with a lot of exposition anyways. So, I think it was a really smart idea on his part. Yeah. That's kind of how it was too. Like I, I think I liked it more than you simply because the only like new movie I had really seen going into a tenant was that, uh, movie with Russell Crowe where he's mm-hmm. the, uh, fuck. What was the name of the movie? I re- just remember 
and he's really overweight and you can hear him like laboring, breathing a couple, <clears throat> a couple times during scenes. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And I'm like, man, fuck it. This is Maximus. And now he's like, Batsimus. But, um, <laughs> and unhinged. It's where he gets mad at that lady that cut him off and she wouldn't yeah. apologize. Don't recommend it. So I was really jonesing for something good. And, uh, to me, Christopher Nolan's one of those directors. He's kind of like him and Tarantino right now are like the two guys that like, all you need to tell me is, Hey, Chris Nolan has a movie coming out. I don't even need to see a trailer on there. Yeah. So, Oh yeah. So I think I enjoyed it more than you, but then like I spent the next couple of days trying to figure out what the fuck I had just watched. <laughs> so it's a mistake. Don't do it. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> man, and like, I, I wasn't, I was real, real paranoid during the pandemic. So I didn't want to be in a confined space like that too often. So I didn't really, I wasn't going to go watch it in the movie theater again. I was like, I can wait. Yeah. So then I watched it then. And like, I still, I've seen it subsequently. I watched it two times this week and I still can't figure it out. <laughs> I think I, I, I'm like, I would say I'm 80% there. I'm st- I'm not a hundred percent. I'm no expert on entropy and, and reversing the flow of time. So I'm no, I'm no physicist. Well, I believe but. there's a line of dialogue in the movie that I, um, is the best thing I can recommend watching this movie is don't understand it. Feel it. Yep. And I like, that's a line uh, I, I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, the scientist, I think says it. Right. And, and she yeah. had one of the Harry Potter movies too. Yeah. I mean, the antagonist is, so I mean, that wouldn't surprise me if she was. So that's kind of the mindset I take into watching this movie. It's not one that I go and revisit like, okay, I yeah. hope like, you know what I'm in the mood for? Tenant. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have watched this had you not recommended we do this as an episode. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good excuse to rewatch it. Yeah, because it's not like a bad movie that you don't want to watch, but you also never really do have a reason to watch it. <laughs> this is one of those movies that honestly, like, if you hadn't seen this before, and I'm just going to forewarn you right now before we get into this. This is the newest movie we've done. It's going to be four years old in September. So I guess before you listen to this, if you haven't seen Tenet, I'd recommend going and watching it, then coming back and revisiting the the episode because we're probably going to dive into some spoilers here a little bit if we haven't already. Yeah. I'll put a I'll put something up at the beginning of the episode too. But uh, yeah, it just. That's just the mindset I, I take with it now. Just feel it. And it's a movie that requires <clears throat> multiple viewings to kind of get the gist of what's going on. Right. I think that um, that particular line is the way that Christopher Nolan wanted people to watch the movie, too. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, don't just feel it. Like, Okay. All right. I get you, Christopher Nolan. Chris, you got it, dude. Anything for you, man. 
<laughs> and I, I was all for it. Like, hey, you're trying to save the movie industry right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going for it, Chris. So, all right, man. Well, hey, let's uh, knock out some of these categories uh, here real quick. The Tale of the Tape, Tenet, is rated PG-13. This was released on September the 3rd, 2020. Stars John David Washington, who, little known fact, or you may know, is the son of uh, Couch Potato Podcast favorite Denzel Washington. Him. Uh, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Kapadia, which I'm sure I fucked up the pronunciation of that name, Kenneth Branagh, and Michael Caine. Uh, directed by, of course, the incomparable Chris Nolan. Rotten Tomatoes score. I did not write that down, so I will come back to the Rotten Tomatoes score. But I'm I'm such a bad, such a bad host anymore. Uh, the oh no, you're fine. Box office uh, budget of two hundred five million dollars. Uh, gross three hundred and sixty five point three million dollars at the box office, which. Seems like it may be a loss, but considering this was released right in the middle of the pandemic, um, and during this time, I believe movie theaters in New York and California were closed. Yes. So you, you the two biggest markets for movies, not even uh, open to see Tenet. So that's even quite an accomplishment. Rotten Tomatoes score uh, critics. 69% and the audience score is 76%, which that's got to be his lowest rated movie. I would think. Right. Uh, the kids these days would call that score mid mid. Thanks for uh, keeping mid. it, keeping it fresh. No cap, <laughs> no cap, uh, awards. This did win an Academy award for the best visual effects. I'm sure that it didn't have a lot of competition. So, right. uh, actually, I'm surprised this didn't get a Best Picture nom because yeah, there, there wasn't a lot out. Because the movies that did come out in 2020, uh, I've seen some of them that got Best Picture nominations. Not very good. Like I, yeah, I will never watch any of those movies ever again. You, Friends, you can't give you can't give an action movie Best Picture though. It just doesn't happen. It well, I think happens. if you're going to do it, 2020 would have been the year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I don't even remember what one best picture. Wasn't it Nomadland with Francis McDormand? I think so. It sounds familiar. That's all. the only reason why I'm saying it. It was a bad year that, for everybody. It, yeah, 2020 sucked, and I will never, I never want to revisit that again. Uh, where can you watch Tenet right now? And I was really shocked by this. You can't stream it anywhere. Oh, wow. It's not on HBO. Well, Max now. And I know that uh, Warner Brothers had sold the rights to a bunch of their movies to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I know most of the DC catalog is on Netflix now, um, with the exception of the new Aquaman and I think the new Shazam. But just about everything else is on yeah. there. I figured that might have been one of them. Nope, can't watch Tenet anywhere. But you can rent it. You can buy it on all your major digital movie formats, including Apple, Amazon Prime, 
Voodoo, wherever you get digital movies, you can definitely find it on there. So, okay. And, uh, yeah, that, that's shocking that, but I guess it kind of makes sense too. And this will, uh, I'll go into my fun facts here in a second. Uh, I touch base on that. Uh, the relationship between Nolan and uh, Warner Brothers is a little frosty after this movie. Oh, okay. So I, I'm yeah, just I wondering if that, that that might be part of it. But so that's uh, the man trying to save the movie industry, and Warner Brothers is just taking movies that are finished away from us. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not been a, a kind decade of, to be a Warner Brothers stockholder at the moment. Um, the Did You Know? Uh, this is uh, where we give you guys and gals some uh, fun facts about the behind-the-scenes making of the movie. Uh, really couldn't find any casting what is, which uh, everyone knows that listens to the show. That's my wheelhouse, but it seemed like Chris Nolan pretty much knew who he wanted. And I don't think there's going to be too many actors in Hollywood who are going to say like, "No, nah, I don't want to. I want. I don't want to do a Chris Nolan movie. I let's work with. Uh, is Brett Ratner doing anything? I want to do a Brett Ratner movie so. instead. Okay. <laughs> Which actually, I don't think Brett Ratner's done anything in quite a while. I know he's part of that. Uh, when uh, a lot of celebs were getting uh, called to the carpet for. Uh, sexual misconduct. He was one of them. Yep. Which I'm fine with it. Brett Ratner doesn't make another movie. <laughs> Whoop. Oh, well. Um, But this was the first major studio film to be released during the pandemic. As we had said that uh, movie theater shut down in March and we were lacking for uh, new titles for quite a while. And I think that's the reason why that unhinged movie came out is because the studio that put that out was like, they seen an opportunity to make a little bit of money. So they put out unhinged. Okay. I will say that that was a uh, silver lining and all that is uh got to see a lot of movies at the drive-ins that I normally wouldn't have seen. Like, <laughs> I was too young to see yeah. like, you know, Smokey and the Bandit in the movie theater. So I was playing at the drive-ins. Jaws was one. Uh I think that's a good one, yeah. I that's think they did uh I think Star Wars did some re releases. I think the original trilogy came out during this time. Yeah, the original trilogy came out, I think it was ninety seven. Mm-hmm. when they uh re released the original trilogy. And then they yeah, they brought them back for the to film movie theaters during the pandemic. I know back to the future was one of them. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to see that one though. Um, and they did. Didn't they do the 89 Batman at one point? I think they did. I think they the did pandemic. too. Yeah. I think the 89 yeah. Batman came out. But yeah. I mean, they were bringing Goonies was another one. So yeah, they brought all kinds yeah. of cool classic movies. So I guess that was kind of the silver lining in that is, Oh, well, I can go revisit yeah. something I've never seen in the theater before. Um, right. This was originally supposed to come out on July 17th, 2020, which uh, anyone that's a fan of Chris Nolan knows that that late July release date is always like when he brings out his movies. The Batman movies came mm-hmm. out during this time. Dunkirk was one of those. Uh, Oppenheimer. 
came out then too. So yeah, that late July date seems to be the the Nolan wheelhouse. Um, they did push it back to July 31st, then August the 12th, and then they decided to release it in 70 countries on August the 26th before they finally brought it out to the United States on Labor Day weekend, which I think was September the 3rd. Okay. And uh, just doing some research, it looks like he wanted the plot to this movie to be kept secret, so the actors that he wanted to play in the movie he basically invited them to his office at Warner Brothers and they had to sit in his office and read the script. They couldn't take the script home oh, with them. Okay. And I was, uh, mm-hmm. there was a article with Robert Pattinson where he's talking about his blood sugar got so low after reading the script that he thought he lost the job because uh, Chris Nolan, I guess, had this bowl of chocolates in between him and Robert Pat or him and, uh, Pattinson and Nolan, and he asked if he could grab one just so he could eat something, and he thought that he blew his chance after he did that. And Can I have I, your chocolate? Also, I don't think I got my got the job because I stole your chocolate. Well, I, I don't know. It, it might have been one of those things where he was just trying to make a good impression, and like he's asking for food. But then again, it's like you're sitting in an office for five hours. I mean, like he could have fucking had something catered in. Right, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure there's a Jersey Mike's right by Warner Brothers. Now, I'm no Hollywood director, and I'm obviously not an expert. But if I have my actors coming into my office for five hours, I'm providing lunch. I mean, come on, yeah, get some pot pizza or something. <laughs> I can just imagine Chris Nolan now, like, help yourself to a hot and ready. <laughs> Pizza, pizza. I just realized my <laughs> British accent sounded a little bit Australian, a little bit British too. That's why I'm doing That's voice okay. acting. They came from the same place. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, I even seen where uh, Michael Caine, like, only got what his part, like the lines for his part, the day he appeared on set. So, he, like, I guess during pre like uh, interviews before the movie come out. He hadn't seen the final product, so he had no clue what the hell the movie was even about. I kind of could tell that he didn't like he did he did read his lines really well, but during that scene, it just felt like to me like nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah, he uh I uh fun fact that uh this is the eighth collaboration with uh him and uh, Chris Nolan too. Every, every director has their actor that they go to. Yeah, I I really think that Kenneth Branagh is going to be the new Michael Caine now because Michael Caine retired a couple of years ago. Yeah, because I I I almost nominated him for uh, the um, uh, drug dealer number two award uh, for this podcast, but Michael I Caine. feel like he's too well known. No, no, Kenneth Branagh. Oh. Because I feel like he's too famous to not know. But like when I was watching this, I didn't recognize him. I don't know whether it's like the the facial hair or what. Because I, I normally don't see him with the facial hair. But That beard of his is red as fuck in that movie. Like it, yeah. it pops on my TV like, God damn, like that's a rusty beard. Yeah. Yeah, 
And it, it it transforms his face. You just don't know it's him. At least I didn't. <laughs> it also allows him to really ham up the British or the Russian accent too. Oh, oh yeah. Um, as I touched on earlier, this was Chris Nolan's final film to be produced and distributed by Warner Brothers. In September twenty one, after nineteen years with the studio, his split with them was confirmed. After it was announced that his next picture, which would go on to be Oppenheimer, would be made at Universal. This had to do with the fact that uh, Warner Brothers decided to do that. They did it in 2020, and then I think they did it through 2021, where they would release movies simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. And Nolan is like a yeah. big proponent of the, of the theatrical experience. Like he, that's why he shoots like movies with an IMAX camera, and it. I mean, it shows like he shoots movies to be seen on the biggest screen possible. So. It's I'd an seen, art form, I feel. And yeah. you know, they it, it needs to be that way. I had seen somewhere where there is like the ice might be melting a little bit in that relationship between the two of them. Okay. Well I wouldn't be mad, but I'd I'm also not mad at him for sticking to his guns either. Right. I I mean, you know, honestly, I don't give a fuck if Amazon Prime is releasing his movies. Like, I, as long as they're putting them out in theaters, like I'll I'll be there to see them. Yeah. The production team purchased and then crashed a real seven forty seven airplane, which is one of the big set pieces in this movie that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the stunt was all practical effects with no visual effects or CGI. Chris Nolan had originally. Right. He originally planned on using miniatures and set piece builds. However, while scouting for locations in Victorville, California, the team discovered a massive array of old planes and it became apparent that it would be actually more efficient to buy a real plane of real size and perform the sequence for real on camera. You know what? Uh, I am also a sucker for practical effects too, so. Uh, you will enjoy this little fun fact. Uh, Nolan utilized no green screens for this, just practical effects. This includes the inversion sequences, which he shot twice, one time going forward and once backwards. Okay. Composite them together. And a movie of this size, like how many like special effects shots do you think they have in this? Just take a wild stab. Um, man, there's thousands in, in a new film, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's lower. Uh seven hundred. Oh, you're way off, my friend. If this were the price is right, you are not going on you're still on contestants row. You oh, okay. right. two hundred and eighty visual effects shots in this movie. Oh wow. Okay. That is, uh, this was the even more staggering fact that there are more special effects shots in romantic comedies than there was in Tenet. Yeah, I can imagine. Holy crap. Which, yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the, uh, the amount of visual effects shots he used, like the Dark Knight used 650, the Dark Knight Rises 450. Inception used 500 and Dunkirk only used 429. Those are all super low. 
which is why Chris Nolan's the man. He believes in old-fashioned movie making. That's why. That's why I dig him because you could. It shows on screen that like that's like that's a real fucking like in Dunkirk. That's like a real plane dropping bombs on that beach or. You know that those are real cars trying to uh, intent. Those are real cars trying to get onto that that fire truck. So that's cool. Like I'm, I am. Uh, I kind of grew up in that era uh, in between practical effects and CG. And I think I I might be biased here, but I don't think I am. Where uh, the marriage of practical effects and CG just kind of make the movie look the best that it can. And the overuse of CG is noticeable and it makes it look crappy. And then like the underuse of it, like old, old films, you can definitely tell. I mean, stop motion wasn't perfect, especially with the motion blur. So having both of them intertwined just makes it amazing. And I think that um, like films like Jurassic Park and um, uh, Terminator and uh, a bunch of other movies that kind of married the, the two together look great and they hold up so it makes sense that you know christopher nolan's movies look great on film and i think just the way that they overuse uh cgi now it's starting to make the movies look shitty like yeah oh yeah um i've just watched a little bit of the flash which if you listen to our uh last year's summer movie preview episode which you can find on apple spotify Wherever you get your podcast, cheap plug of the episode. Um, I was super excited to see, but watching it at home, the special effects mm-hmm. of that movie and spots are really fucking bad. Oh, I remember watching it in the theater and thinking that, especially during the uh, the time bubble sequences, like they were super bad. And um, I think the only movie that looked worse after that was the second Ant-Man or the third Ant-Man movie. Sorry. Yeah. Ant-Man and um, the quantum mania was really bad too. Yeah. But I had read that a lot of the special effects people for Disney and Marvel were being stretched thin. Like they only had so many people to do them and they needed to be done. Like they're working like crazy hours to get this shit done. So there's obviously going to be mistakes made. So, right. And with how cheap CG is now, more companies tend to use it because it's like, oh, we can do anything in CG. And uh, so it kind of um, looks bad when you're trying to budget for a movie and then you're like, oh, well, I want to use practical effects. Well, practical effects are expensive. So, yeah. And they're very risky as well. They, they always weigh the risk, too. It's like, OK, we're going to blow up this house. All right. We have to buy a house. We're going to make it explode and we only have one take. Let's make sure this works. So, well, when you're Christopher Nolan, though, if you tell Warner Brothers, Universal, whomever, hey, I want to, I'm going to buy an actual 747 and blow it up, like, all right, there you go. Go ahead. (laughs) But if you You and I were making that same movie, like, no, guys, uh, but let's that CGI team take care of that for you. Right. Um, I found this uh, tidbit to be a, a little interesting. Not so much the fact that he's not involved in the movie, but uh, the fact that they had such a long, like, standing relationship. 
Uh, this was the first movie since The Prestige in 2006 not to be scored by Hans Zimmer. Okay. Which uh, I don't know if uh, you uh, guys and gals out there are uh, fans of musical scores. Adam and I are. Adam more so than I am. But I still yeah. dig a good one. Uh, the Tenet soundtrack is a fucking banger. Oh, it is. Uh, Man. Ludwig Gorison. I believe is the mm-hmm. composer's name, yeah. which uh, found out in the research. First feature film was this movie. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He, he did an excellent job. Man, it's good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what it is I like more. There's the, um, the synthesizer effects of like the reversal or like the action sequences with the, uh, the loud bass. I don't know. It, it's, it's good. It's mixed horribly. So if there's dialogue during a scene, like you're hearing the music and the sound effects more, but it's still a really good soundtrack. So I, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter. Uh, this wasn't his first movie. He actually won an Oscar for Black Panther. So he's still fairly oh, okay. new in the, right. the industry, though, but not his first movie. Yeah, I, I really okay. dig it. It kind of has like an 80s feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. such a good score. Uh uh, hop on your Apple Music or your Spotify and just look it up and listen to it, man. Like that that first track, I'm gonna get to that here shortly. Uh, that's killer too. Yeah. Um, as I stated, this was the eighth film to feature Sir Michael Caine, who had been in everything from Bat. I think Batman Begins through uh, Tenet, which. Yeah, because he wasn't in uh, Insomnia and he wasn't in Memento. But yeah, then after Insomnia, he did Batman Begins, right? Yeah, he did Batman Begins. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, eight films. And then uh, this was uh, his last movie before he retired. Oh, okay. I uh, was doing my son a couple days ago. He was a little upset. He He's playing basketball for the first time. And uh, mm-hmm. he was getting a little upset because uh, he's got a couple kids on his team that kind of uh, like ball hog. They just don't really pass the ball to anybody else on their team. He was getting yeah. uh, super frustrated with it. And I gave him like this pep talk and I did it. Like I did it just like Michael Caine. He goes, you know why we fall down so, so we can pick ourselves up again. <laughs> Something that extent. I, I, my Michael Caine was much better when I told it to him than it was just a second ago. Perfect. But my, uh, my yeah, Michael Caine, like anytime, uh, you know, like I tell somebody, like I would never do something like that. I always do it in the Michael Caine that never. Never. Uh, let's see. And I think because I skipped, I skipped around on this. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all the fun facts I got. Um, what about you, man? You got anything, uh, exciting that you looked up before we did? So, um, nothing exciting, I guess, in the terms, terms of exciting, but, um, I have a few goofs like I normally do. And then I have, uh, uh, just some, um, I don't know, some knowledge transfer, I guess. Uh, so the first fact that I had, um, was a goof, uh, where they're talking about how, um, heat transfer is reversed when you're inverted in time. So if your entropy is reversed, 
and you get hot, you're actually getting cold. So you feel like, you know, you're, um, you know, super hot and then the heat gets sucked out of you. Well, that was a big plot point because uh, the protagonist is in the car and uh, it's upside down. He can't get out. And then we see uh, the antagonist just throw a, a match or a lighter down on the ground and catch the car on fire. And then he wakes up and it's like, man, it's the first time that anyone's ever uh, gotten uh, hypothermia from uh, being burned. And uh, so we're meant to think that you know that happens well if that's the case everybody that's inverted should die immediately as soon as they get on the other side because the sun is going to suck all the heat out of them <laughs> there's just no way that they're going to be living it's super big plot hole it's like okay well uh can't live on this planet anymore gotta go someplace really really cold now, see that it's shit like that is why I have you on this show is because like you, you bring the scientific facts. That's because you're much much smarter than I am. So yeah, shit like that I would have never guessed that in a million years. Like, okay, like yeah. I get it. Hot is cold, and cold is hot. Right. I get what you're doing. We never it's like you're like, trying to make everything bizarre world. Right. Everything's backwards, but. We we can't have the sun work the exact same way if that's backwards. <laughs> In that instance, though, I wonder if Limp Biscuit's song "Break Stuff" is actually called "Fix Stuff." You know, it should be. In the in the reverse entropy world, it's going to be fixed stuff. Just give me something to fix, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, uh, another goof. Uh, another plot hole that I kind of uh, sussed out um, was uh, when somebody is time reversed, they explain that they can't come in co- into contact, um, physical contact anyways, with um, their other self because then they would annihilate each other. Which is established like, in the 1985 classic Back to the Future. Right. Yeah. Even though I think... Uh, doesn't um, his girlfriend see herself and then they just both scream and faint? Yeah, in part two. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, the two um, Jennifers see one another and they pass out. And, you know. So, in quantum physics, and I'm going to be really brief here because I don't want to bore everybody. <laughs> but in quantum physics... If you reverse a particle's entropy, you're not just reversing one part of uh, the particle. You're not reversing the time part. Everything exists in space-time. Space-time is a together thing. So you're reversing their space as well. Uh, Einstein said it. Space-time is a, is a thing. Space and time aren't separate. They're relative. So you reverse something's entropy, you're going to reverse itself. There we go it's going to be an antiparticle. And if you come into contact with anything going forward in time, everything's going to be annihilated. It's an, it's an antimatter particle. So the equivalent of your matter, whatever you touch will be annihilated simultaneously. So as soon as you step out again, not only are you going to freeze to death, but you're going to, going to annihilate whatever you touch and it's going to annihilate you. 
You know why they didn't do that? And I this well, will not this will not be like I I don't have a scientific explanation for it. But if that was like they did that in the movie, this movie would have been like thirty seconds long. It's true, and it's it's three hours instead. So you know, but it's a it's a good three hours. So yeah, scientific facts aren't fun, but it that's is fun not entirely true. Not entirely true. <laughs> Nickelodeon back in the eighties had a whole entire show called Mister Wizard's World. Where he made science fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Mr. Wizard was a bad motherfucker. God rest his soul. <laughs> but he would agree with me in this. <laughs> he he would. So would Bill Nye the science yeah. guy. I don't think either exactly. one of them were consulted for this movie, though. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so those, those are my fun facts. Uh, another um, a couple of times... Uh, they didn't have masks on while they were uh, like had the inverse entropy, which kind of confused me because like just because a place is sealed off doesn't mean that you can't have the mask. Unless it's also inverted. I don't know. Yeah. So I, uh, I, holes there. I, uh, yeah, see, don't, don't try to figure it out. Just feel it. Cause I always thought the oxygen mask were like the way their way of like telling the audience like, Hey, this is, you're in the inverted yeah. world now instead of, you know, all regular I mean, show rock and roll world. Makes sense that they would do that though. Like uh breathe in inverted air because the oxygen will get sucked out of their lungs basically if they breathe. Um, so that's what I thought yeah, this last time too. But, um, yeah, just, um, and then my last fact, um, and then one of our regular listeners is going to know what I say, uh, what I mean when I say this, um, it's like, uh, the time travel in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. I thought you were going with, uh, Avengers Endgame, but continue. Uh, well, also Avengers Endgame, I guess, because the, their their new future is their, their new future is their past. So literally, the only movies that are are one of our loyal listeners, and we appreciate him listening. Is Harry Potter and Marvel movies? That's it, right? I think I based uh, this but, podcast solely on to get that dude to watch different movies besides Harry Potter and Marvel, and hopefully, we've succeeded. But I think his his love affair with Harry Potter and Marvel is going to withstand the test of time. Maybe for next um, week we'll do Requiem for a Dream. I don't want to put myself through it, but I just I just want to get his <laughs> feedback after he watches it. Like I watched that movie, and sir, it fuck or it freaking sucked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very depressing. Uh, but uh, Harry Potter. And the prisoner of Azkaban, they go back in time to save uh, one of their animal friends, uh, what they call a hippogriff, and uh, to save Harry Potter's godfather. Well, um, the way that uh, the um, Albus Dumbledore had explained it to them is, um, you know, you got to go and then you'll come back and everything will be like it was. and they didn't change anything because they had to go back in time because they had already done it before. 
And it actually it shows that in previously in the movie before Dumbledore even tells them that it shows previously in the movie their actions. They they see them from afar, like who threw that rock or um, what was that noise? It was them in the past doing the things that they had already done. Well, that means that you can't change the past. And then if you're if you exist in the future, then you had already done it. And that's this entire movie. So it's like um, the argument like we were uh, talking about before the podcast on the Big Bang Theory. It's like if Indiana Jones didn't exist in the movie, everything would have ended up the same because the Nazis would have had their faces melted off if they ever found the Ark. The only reason they did find it was because Indiana Jones was in the movie. Right. So, and it's the same with, it's the same with Tenet. Nothing happens in this movie. It's, it's because nothing happened. You knew that everybody was going to be fine because it had already happened. They had to do it. And, you know, they kept saying, you know, what's happened's happened or not knowing is our ammunition. And it's completely true because nothing is their ammunition. It's the bomb that doesn't go off. That is the, the one that's going to destroy the world. <laughs> so super confusing, but it's, it, it's what Christopher Nolan had the scientists say at the beginning. You, get, you just got to feel it. And watching the movie is just a really fun ride. So don't try and understand it because nothing happens. It's just a fun ride. Exactly. Uh, just enjoy it to get to our next category, the Martin Scorsese. This is cinema award for the best scene of the movie. Um, I'll start off with mine. I'm just going to set the scene for you. Um, Talon. Opera mm-hmm. house. John David Washington looking as cool as a cucumber in the back of a van. Yeah. Ludwig Gornson's rainy days and Tallinn playing. That seems mm-hmm. fucking awesome. I, I love that sequence so much. It's a really good sequence. Sequence the, the score matches perfectly with what's going on. Uh the whole audience gets knocked out and they're having a gunfight while there's people unconscious in the in the opera house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. uh the guy I forget his name, but I know his name is opera spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. Never really know what that guy the point of that guy is in this movie. Um, oh, the, uh, he's the, he's the guy that forged the painting. Um, oh, okay. From, yeah. Yeah. He, he forged the painting, uh, that basically traps the wife in blackmail. So, oh, it sets the, 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 the events in action, but I just love that right. sequence. Um, I was going to say the car, the, the sequence with the car where they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to get in to steal, uh, what what do they call the the pieces of the oh the um the algorithm yeah, yeah. I thought that sequence was cool too and then, of course the seven forty seven blowing up yeah um I I honestly I think once that plane blows up there was nothing that Nolan could have done that would have topped that and it kind of shows yeah. that in the finale it still a good sequence, but it kind of falls flat considering like everything you'd seen before that. Yeah. Although the finale is, is 
uh, visual eye candy is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's not like a, a 747 blowing up, but it's it's still cool to see the the people going forward and the people going backward. Mm-hmm. Like that RPG when it when when the RPG hits the uh, the building, they show it forwards and they show it backwards, and it it just looks so cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it's the opera house scene just simply because like it kind of sets the tone for the movie. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, and watching it in like repeat viewings, it's like, okay, you still may not know what the fuck's going on in this, but like, check this shit out. Yeah. This is fucking cool action sequence. So at least you have that to look forward to. And it only gets right. better as you go on. But I think a lot of it for me, just the fact that that, that first piece of the, of the score really sets that scene off. Mm-hmm. I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't think that scene is quite as cool if it had a different, like a different arrangement in the score. But that's just me, though. That that's my favorite sequence of the movie. Yeah, I I really like it. I'm I'm kind of leaning towards uh, the uh, um, plane crash sequence, though, just because um, they weave parts of the plot in there as well, like when uh, when Neil. Um, Robert Pattinson's character uh, throws the protagonist on the ground and he figures out that like that's the protagonist and uh, even though he I guess he knew already but like just seeing that scene and how his reaction was was later on anyways was it's pretty cool how they went back and revisited that how he started bleeding before uh, before he got back into the building after they had uh, reversed themselves. That was cool. And just seeing the whole plane crash backwards was pretty cool too because it was like you got to see it forwards in one perspective and then you got to see it backwards in another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm... Hey, you know what? I'm perfectly cool saying that the 747 crash is the best sequence of the movie. I mean, yeah, it, it, like you said, it kind of ties the plot into it a little bit. But it, too, it's like nothing that that movie does going forward tops that sequence. And as right. we said earlier right. in the "Did You Know" section, like that's a legit fucking playing it blown up too. Like it's like me right. and you going and buying a seven forty seven and blowing up like the fucking old mall. <laughs> Which Man. I, you know, hey, there's Kickstarter, there's GoFundMe. We can make something like that happen. Like. Yeah, we'll film it. We'll yeah. film it. I'll, we can get if we can get enough money, we'll get a slow mo camera to film it. Yeah, just give us That's enough great. money to buy a jumbo jet, baby. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I'm okay with giving it to the uh, the first scene though, the opera house scene, because uh, I like to dare to be different in a world of conformists. So, yeah, uh, two John David Washington it looks just like for what's about to go down and he kind of knows like he's about to go do something. He looks like he looked like he just smoked a J like he is so like, I could have sworn he was asleep and he just kind of got woken up and he's like, sup. Yeah. And like just the <laughs> bullet flips out of the, the clip and like, he's ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Well, we'll just call it a tie. Yeah, I'm okay with you. Call right, it a tie. Yeah, we can call it a tie. Uh, the Andy Dufresne Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying Award for the best quote or line of the movie. This one for me was tough because there's not like one 
line of dialogue that's very memorable. Like I don't ever hear anyone quoting Tenet. Mm-hmm. But there are right. some very cool lines in this. And for me, I always like the the sequence at the end after everything's happened and mm-hmm. uh, Neil and the protagonist. And I forget Aaron Johnson or Aaron Taylor Johnson's character's name. Isn't it Ives or something like that? The, the yeah, command Ives. leader. Yeah. Uh, they they kind of split the uh, algorithm into pieces and they take mm-hmm. a third of it. And then uh, Neil gives his part to the protagonist. But I always like that line where he says, uh, like, he says something like, I'll see you in the beginning. I'll see you in the beginning, yeah. my friend. Because uh, yeah. if you pay attention, uh, Neil dies in this movie. Yes, he does. But he's going to, like, everything comes back around and he's going to see the protagonist again. The protagonist is going to see him again. So just kind of like, it puts a nice little bow on the movie itself. Right. Like he's, you can see the, the sadness in the protagonist's eyes. Cause the protagonist had seen that little keychain thing, the little, um, amulet, whatever it is on Neil's backpack. And he's like, okay, I know I, he's going to his death and he's, you can see the sadness in him, but then like, you yeah, can also like, kind of see hope because Yeah. He's getting ready to cry, like, but Neil tells him that he's known him for years and he had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're just at the beginning. This is, it's been a whole temp- temporal pin- pincer movement, I think is what they called it. Yeah. And you're just at the beginning. And that it just, it's so cool getting left with that is like, we saw the end of what was the beginning. And mm-hmm. it's, that's super cool. Yeah. I would say as an honorable mention, I'm always a sucker for like when there's like a phrase that acts as like a co- like unlocks like a mission, like a code word or a code phrase. Yeah. And I don't even remember what it is. I watched it. I've watched it a lot now and I don't remember what the phrase was. A buddy of mine, uh, we had seen The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. And mm-hmm. we used to, when we call each other on the phone, it shows you how old we are. This is before cell phones and text messaging. We would call each other on the phone before we'd even start our phone conversation. One of us would say, the sun is shining. And then the other one would reply back, but the ice is slippery. That's a line from the shadow. <laughs> Not a very good superhero movie, but we really dug that catch for it. Like that, that phrase. And this one yeah, at the, uh, in the opera house sequence, uh, the the guy opera spelled backwards. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. But uh, yeah. John David Washington kind of gives it a little bit of a stewie from like when he says "cool whip." But yeah, when he, cool whip. He says, "We live in a twilight world." And he says, "World at world." It's like very breathy. World. But they, I think they use that a couple times. He says, we live in a twilight world, and it seems to be like this phrase that unlocks like another fucking like passage to uh, move the plot along. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also, the, it, the sequence with John David Washington and Robert Pattinson about the airplane was pretty funny, too. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, that part's a little dramatic. Yeah, 
not from the air. That's dramatic. Um, I really uh, honorable mention. I know it's not going to be like the the line we choose, but I also like the uh, uh, conversation between uh, Andre and uh, the protagonist uh, at the dinner um, where he sits down. He's like, how would you like to die old? Well, you chose the wrong profession, dude. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is fucking like cold blooded in this. I would yeah. I will say <clears throat> not a hot take, but. I think Kenneth Branagh's <clears throat> Sador is probably the most sadistic villain that Nolan has ever put on film outside of the Joker. Yes. And I only say that because he's willing to kill his own son to be what he calls himself a God. Mm-hmm. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know what? I yeah. bet if he, he shaved off that rusty beard, personality would totally change yeah he would be he would be the happy-go-lucky uh professor from harry potter again (laughs) yeah or like motherfuckers uh hercule perot in the new uh agatha christie movies i mean come on dude can't be acting can't be acting up like that acting all fucking crazy up in here but my my uh my line i think for this this category is going to be what's happened's happened and cuz it it just it sums up the movie so succinctly it's just what's happened's happened mhm yeah it has okay yeah that's the entire movie <laughs> yeah it has um <laughs> you know like I, I'm okay giving it to anything that we've mentioned just because like I said, like nothing in this movie, like quote wise stands out. Like I'm not going to be quoting like anything from this movie yeah. in like, you know, the next 20 years. Well, at right. my advanced age, like 20 years, I may not even remember there being a movie called yeah. Tenet for all I know. <laughs> but, um, I'm totally cool giving it to, uh, your, your pick. Because, like I said, yeah, that line kind of sums up. You watch Tenet, like, okay, yeah, like, that line just, fuck, that's everything. Yeah. And they say it a bunch, too. That's just how they they justify what they're doing the entire time. That and the, uh, we live in a twilight world. (laughs) (laughs) Who's whip? Whip. All right, the McLovin for best supporting or scene-stealing performance. Um, this one might be a little difficult because essentially there's John David Washington's obviously the lead. He's got the most screen time in the movie. And then it'd be Elizabeth, the Becky would probably be number two. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to nominate him just because he's my favorite character in the movie. He rocks fucking shit out of it is I'm nominating Robert Pattinson as Neil. He's probably in the movie for about a third, maybe a little less than a third of the movie. So he's definitely in a supporting role. Okay. I would say that he is, he's, he's more of a main character than we're giving him credit for here, but I'm willing to give it to him uh, solely based on his performance. So, Oh yeah. He is like so fucking like just suave and well, actually John David Washington is too. Like these two guys, their chemistry together is off the fucking chart. Like they, 
are fucking awesome together. And oh yeah, I would love to see them do a team up, it's like or just like a do another movie together. Yeah, like a buddy cop movie. Like that would be perfect. I would love that. Yeah, but I don't know. Like he just comes across as being very like just very cool. Yeah, he kind of he gives me. Um, and I didn't know who he was when I first seen it, but Nolan created a character similar to this in Inception. Tom Hardy's Eames is like this character here. Yeah. Because like Tom Hardy is like fucking cool as shit in the limited amount of screen time he's got in Inception. And this is the same, like obviously Pattinson's in this more, but same kind of like yeah. just that very cool, suave, presence about themselves mm-hmm. and i don't know for me robert pattinson i know kind of has gotten a bad rap because he was in the twilight movies and that's kind of like the stigma that i think dicaprio had for a while after titanic just like oh he's like the, yeah. the teen heartthrob but like he's done more than enough to get himself out of that just knocking out like um he did the lighthouse he's batman of course this movie yeah. he did the movie of the safty brothers was at good times which is a really good movie yeah amongst others now he, he he like out of all the actors that i i have started to started out not liking because he did he did twilight he did harry potter he didn't do a big role in Harry Potter. I think he died in the first movie that he appeared in. He did. Um, like, I didn't really care for him too much. And now I think he is probably one of the best actors that you could get for a movie. And I, that might be a hot take. I don't know. But I also think, like, his acting chops are better than DiCaprio's were. And that also might be a hot take. Now that but, might be a hot take, yeah, but um, but I don't know how old I he think is. like, yeah, I don't know, but he's great. I, I, if he's in a movie, and I'm not going to prejudge him anymore because his his resume speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when he got cast as Batman. Like, uh, I know I had a lot of friends that were like not even going to give him a chance because he was in Twilight. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, like he's not a a vampire that like fucking what what do they do in that movie? They sparkle, they twinkle in the sunlight yeah. or something like that. He's right. not really that person. He's just doing a job and getting paid for it. And it just happens to be in this particular movie. Right. And, and he's one of the best. And now also I'm probably pissing somebody off, but he's also one of the best Batmans I've seen in a movie. <laughs> He's a very good Batman. Yes, his Batman is very, very good. So yeah, like Pattinson just fucking rocks the shit in this movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I'm going to give it to him simply because it's like the time that he's on there, you like you soak up every minute that he's on screen, and then like when he's not, you're like, when's Neil going to pop back up? Right. That's another thing that uh, Christopher Nolan is great at in his movies because he always stacks his movies with just an incredible cast. And I think like he is very good at the amount of screen time he gives a particular character. Mm -hmm. It just it 
it fits every character that he has cast. And I think the people that he cast uh, deserve that screen time that he gives them, whether it's too, too little or, or too much. The amount of time that they're on screen is fitting for the character itself. And it just, you, you tend to like the pacing that he gives the movies with that kind of skill, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, mm, yeah. Um, do you have a nominee for this category or are we both in agreement? It's Pattinson. We're both in agreement. It's Pattinson. I was going to nominate Michael Caine because he had less time and I really like Michael Caine and he read that line, even though he didn't, <laughs> he didn't know his lines until the day of, but mm. Pattinson blows it out of the water. We're going to have to give it to him. Yeah. Um, the IMDb drug dealer number two award for the actor or actress you've seen in the movie, but you have no idea who they are. Um, now this one, I don't have anybody for because it was going to be, um, uh, I just lost train of thought. Uh, Kenneth Branagh. There we go. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I've, I figured out without the beard who it was. And I was like, no, nope, he can't be it. Cause he's too well known. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people that are fans of movies are going to know who Kenneth Brana Brana is. So, um, I actually nominated, uh, the CIA boss from the, after the, uh, the protagonist, uh, takes the fake cyanide pill. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember him from weeds. Okay. But uh, looking up his IMDb, he was also in the uh, the Ghost Whisperer. Uh, okay. That show with Jennifer Love Hewitt was early two thousands. But uh, he was also been in uh, another Chris Nolan movie. He was in uh, Insomnia. He was Al Pacino's partner in Insomnia. Oh, okay. Yeah, his name's Martin Donovan, and Martin he plays. Donovan, yeah, he plays Faye, the CIA boss. And he does that really weird thing when he's trying to explain tenant. He puts his, he goes, tenant. He puts his fingers together. Like I was almost yeah. expecting him to do that. Here's the church and I open the steeple, all that, that jazz. <laughs> like, Come on, dude. That's, that's a very in-depth explanation for tenant. You don't have to do all that, but he doesn't do it. So. Oh, you know what? He was, in, I'm looking at his IMDD. He was an Ant-Man. He, uh, he gets punched by, uh, um, Hank Pym. Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? In the original, bloody nose. Yeah, yeah. When they de-aged Michael Douglas, yeah. <laughs> he's looked about the same though. I mean, he looks a little older, but he's kind of looked very similar for like the last twenty some years. Yeah, but, yeah. Much. That's the only person I have. I know some of the other actors and actresses haven't really appeared in much of anything in the United States that our audience would have seen. So yeah. that's why okay I nominated him. Yeah. yeah. All right, Marty, you win the IMDb drug dealer number two award. So uh, send us your mailing address. We'll get that, uh, that sent out to you in a self. Uh, please send us a self, uh, self address stamped envelope. So we don't pay for postage. And then, yeah. We'll just, we'll skip paying for that stamp. God, we're such cheap bastards on here. <laughs> All right, Adam. This is where I'm just gonna I'm gonna s- step to the side. Like, all right, we're okay. in the kitchen. I'm your sous chef. I'm 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 all mixing. Right. I'm I'm cooking the side dishes here. 
but you're on the main <laughs> course. So I'm just going to let you cook here for a minute. Uh, the unsolved okay. mysteries of the movie. Now, we usually have some burning questions, which we really need to change the name of that, where we just kind of uh, have some questions about like the movie, but we're skipping out this unsolved mm-hmm. mysteries of the movie. There's a ton of them okay. in here. Uh, the first one is, uh, what the fuck is this really about? I think we've tried our best to explain it. You've done a very admirable job of doing so better than I could have, but, um, got a few questions here. Um, is this a time travel movie? Um, I don't, I don't think mm, it is, but I mean, they play around with time, but they don't really go back and forth like saying like back to the future or the time machine shit like they that can't. i'm gonna say no and the only reason i say no is they when they go back in time because they they can go backwards in time i guess is what i'm saying um they can reverse that reverse their entropy and then start going forwards again but they're still at the mercy of the the flow of time so say they go backwards they reverse their entropy and they want to go back a week they still have to wait a week to get back that week and then when they reverse it again they they have to wait however long to get back to the same point in time so no not a time travel movie i kind of likened it a little bit to the uh when you're listening to spotify or apple and you hit that 15 second button (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you still have to listen that 15 seconds to get back where you were. <laughs> um, I have never understood, like, this isn't really, like, too in-depth, but I've always tried to figure out why uh, Sador, who's mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh's character, why he's so insistent on keeping his wife around. Like, he threatens her... By like basically, you'll never see your son if you leave me. And I mm-hmm. is it just a power thing? Like you, just, he just likes um, having that control over her. That like, and he knows that she's not going to leave her son. Possibly, and he doesn't know that. And of course, we're going to have that spoiler alert at the beginning of the of the podcast. But he doesn't know that she kills him because that's the end of his journey through time, I guess. Um, and then she jumps off the boat and like goes about her day. Um, that's, a, that's another question. It's like, what, what did they do when, when they had to wait all that time to get back to like, wasn't it like what, four weeks that they had to go back. They had to wait an entire month to come out of hiding. <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah. Um so Yeah, I don't know why he keeps her around. Maybe just to have cuz he is he is psychotic. So he's probably just keeping her around to um like flex his power cuz he thinks he's god, right? He's getting all these uh bits of the algorithm because he thinks he's preordained to get it and end the world and create a new one. So I'm going to chalk it up to uh being a psychopath. That's a good call. Um, this one here is a very popular fan theory. I just wanted to get your take on it. Um, is Neil Cat's son? 
Mm-hmm. Now, see, like I, I don't know, uh, but they've made some. I've seen some very interesting points. You never see him like a close up of his face. Every time they've shot him, in the limited mm-hmm. time you do see her son, it's from a distance, and right. They, the theory is like, well, since their hair kind of matches up, that it could be. And also, I, somebody had read uh, had mentioned the Roger Ebert theory of like not wasting care. Like every character has a purpose. I guess is the theory. Yeah, that there's more to Neil than just being like kind of the sidekick to the protagonist. Right. Um. You know, now we'll we'll never know unless we ask the filmmakers and they come out and just say point blank, yeah, Neil is the son. Well, I tried to get Chris so, Nolan, but uh, you know, he's over in England and us being here in the States and like just couldn't yeah. get the, the time to work out. You know, I told him like, listen, Chris, buddy, pal, like if you can come on at like nine o'clock Eastern time, we'd love to have you on the show. And he's like, You listen, mate, you yeah. know. I'd love to come on your show. I've listened to all 123 of your episodes. I think you're just bloody brilliant, but I'm doing the, you know, getting ready for the Oscars and doing the awards circuit. So if you can call in sick tomorrow at work, we can do it at a later time. And he said, I said, you know, I'd love to Chris, but I I can't, you know, like I've got to save my PTO hours. Right. Yeah. Maybe one of these days we can have him send us a uh, a stamped envelope and we can send him some plane tickets. Oh no, I I would like I would. Hey, if Chris Chris <laughs> Nolan wants to fly JetBlue, I fly him out here. I don't. He can fly Spirit. It's fine. I don't think Spirit <laughs> Airlines flies to England. No, probably not. He fly to Orlando, least... Florida, L.A., Las Vegas, and Wichita, Kansas. That's it. <laughs> We don't want to lose too many doors over the Atlantic. <laughs> Sometimes when we're feeling frisky, we're going. We'll even catch a flight to Philadelphia and Boston. <laughs> no doors were lost in the making of this. But no, some uh, man. I I forgot the question now. What was the question? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> got off too much on a tangent. Uh, so Neil, being the son, we're never going to know unless we fly. Uh, Chris Nolan out here uh, on some airline that's cheap. Uh, so what I'm going to say or is, Robert Pattinson, he might know too, but I would also ask him. He might. I would just bug Robert Pattinson about Batman stuff. <laughs> I seriously would. I would yeah, spend three hours like, hey man, like do you think I can fit into that Batman suit? <laughs> Care if I drive the Batmobile around for a couple minutes just around the block? How heavy really were those boots? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh I'm gonna say yes. Uh the son is Neil because um the protagonist knew Neil for years and I like to think that he um was like a father to him. So why not? in my in my head canon it sounds like a, a way better movie that way so i'm gonna say yes okay um the last one is um i had seen uh this theory and i thought it was kind of cool is the protagonist like 
basically the mastermind of the of the whole thing. Like, did he basically set the plan in motion to get the algorithm back and, you know, set Neil up with himself and to take Sador down? And, like, is the protagonist, like, the main? Yes, but I don't think... Like the technology did come from the future. I don't think like he he made the technology, but I yeah. think the the kind of things that um everyone else knew about the technology and maybe maybe even the the portals, the little I forget what they called them turnstiles. Um, I think turnstiles. Yeah, maybe he made those uh, to help out. Uh, but even then, maybe not because, like, he wouldn't if they weren't made. Then he wouldn't need. Well, I mean, I, I'm not saying know? like the like the time travel or the the time right, manipulation. Yeah. They would just like, is he the person that set the plan in motion to like? All right, Sador is a like an evil fucking dude, and he's got to be stopped. Yes, and I'll tell you why, because he already did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck, you just answered the question. <laughs> that's why we that's why you're an amazing co-host adam it's like he, you know this shit <laughs> well that's all i had did uh i really hope you don't have any unsolved mysteries for me to answer because like i i hate trying to figure out time travel movies because basically <laughs> or like anything with time manipulation or time travel or time anything to do with the theory of time I base all of yeah. it off Back to the Future. Like I know the fucking rules of Back to the Future, like fucking night and day. And anything that like deviates from like, hey, you know, like you can't run into your future past self. You can't mm-hmm. like if you fuck something up in the timeline, it's gonna splinter off the timeline and bad shit can happen. Yeah. If it's nothing like that, then I you're just wasting your time trying to get my opinion on anything. Well, I do have one, and it's more of a um, a movie trope. Than... Okay, that now that I can do, I can do that. Okay. When he dies at the beginning, is he dead in the entire movie? Oh. He wakes up and his mouth is miraculously healed from some kind of weird CIA science. And now he's in this magical world where time travel exists. I don't think he is because I don't think that cyanide pill is real. Because I think that's supposed to be a cyanide pill. Yeah, it was. And I think that was more of a, a test to see how loyal he was. Okay. Okay. Because they did, they did say that they rebuilt his mouth, but oh, well, yeah, it, it mean, did something to him. I mean, like, yeah. So, or maybe they were just putting new teeth back in his mouth because they were pulling his teeth at the beginning. That that so. could have been because yeah, they were pulling his teeth, yeah. or maybe perhaps he has a peanut allergy, or and that <laughs> pill has some kind of peanut based coating on it, and it caused his mouth to swell up. I mean, I don't know, but I do know that like just, I don't think he died. I think he was always okay. alive, and I think that pill is just kind of more of a, a test to of loyalty okay. than anything. The last time I, this last time that I've watched it, it it kind of occurred to me like, man, this could all be like a one of those movie tropes where it's all a dream sequence or it's just like a an afterlife kind of event. But yeah, yeah, he wakes I, up I, and I he's like, like in I, bed with his 
his wife. It's like the, the old <laughs> Newhart, the Bob Newhart show yeah. ending. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Do I just watch right. for two hours to get to this? Uh, have you ever seen the um, alternate ending to uh, Breaking Bad? A uh, friend of the show, Lucas, does not enjoy the ending to Breaking Bad at all. He hates that ending oh, and okay, actually well. wished that it would have all been a dream. Yeah, I've told him, uh, like, dude, that is like the worst way you could end that show. They they did they did do the thing where he woke up as the uh, I think his name is Hank on that uh, as the dad and Malcolm in the middle. He's like, I dreamed that I was a drug dealer. I was bald. <laughs> now, see, that's funny. <laughs> I would have totally been cool. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have been cool with that because that like Breaking Bad is one of the five best shows in the last twenty something years, but. Yeah, I do know. Friend, I think uh, it was our friend Lucas hates that ending. On something. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our our friend Lucas hates that ending to Breaking Bad. He said <laughs> it should all. He should have just woken up and it all been a dream. Like that kills the whole fucking point of the show. It doing does. That. I goes, do like. I still the, think it's better. I do like the uh, waking up as the dad and Malcolm in the middle, and it was a dream. <laughs> It was it was a good special feature. I think they ended up posting it on YouTube as well. Oh, I'm sure it's on there. Or what if he woke up and it was Denzel Washington? Like, man, uh, he wakes up next to his wife. Like, I just had this weird dream. Our kid was into some crazy shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, the most 2020 moment of the movie. I don't think there's anything in this movie that really dates it to 2020. Nope. So I'm just going to say uh, the most 2020 moment of the movie for me is the fact that we had to rent out a movie theater and social distance ourselves to prevent us from catching COVID-19 is the most 2020 moment of this movie. I I agree to you. I was going to make a joke and be like, oh, it was the masks that they wore to breathe clean air. But no, you're you're right. <laughs> yeah, we had a whole auditorium and there's like 15 of us. And I think we 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 basically took up like I think there's like eight or nine rows in that movie theater. And I think we took up every single yeah. one. And I think we all sat in like corners of the auditorium. Yeah. Except yeah, my friend, except Steven. Steven sat right next, like, s- seriously sat right next to me. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to die. I'm going to sit next to, you know, catch one of my childhood friends. <laughs> well, if you're going to, if you're going to catch a, uh, a deathly disease, it, it should be from one of your friends. It, you never want to die from a disease you caught from an enemy. Right. Um, but that's, that's all I had. Because, I mean, yeah, there's really not, like, it's not like there's a fucking pay phone in here or, like, you know, you... Oh, yeah, we we totally have reverse entropy uh, turnstiles in 2020. <laughs> Actually, mine's coming back from the shop tomorrow, so... Okay, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to head back a little bit, then, like, just redo this episode again. <laughs> just backwards. You know what? You should actually put uh, this episode backwards on the end of the <laughs> dude. I'm not I'll just reverse the audio. <laughs> Somebody's gonna like email us back, like, uh, we're gonna get sued 
they're gonna misinterpret us saying like something like a like that shit from the the satanic panic from the eighties. Like, oh yeah, like <laughs> my dog fucking heard your guys' episode and said like it got possessed by a demon and tried to kill us in the the fucking laundry room or some crazy shit like that. Like, wait a minute, your really dog good, like man. your dog understood everything I was saying backwards and decided it was going to kill you with a butcher knife. That's a little far fetched. It is. No pun but, intended. I mean, if if you uh, if you notice the timestamp on this uh, podcast and it's two hours long, just know we made it. We made it backwards and stuck it on the end. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you have? So you don't have any? Uh, anything for the uh, most 2020? No. No, like I said, I have a, a, a joke of like, yeah, it's the masks they wore to breathe clean air, but that's it. Yeah. Yours is better. <laughs> um, I t- really didn't have a, uh, a Bob Evans hot off the skillet take. And I, I don't even have like the latest Bob Evans uh, advertisement to read to you folks. I'm sure they're offering a very delicious uh, meatloaf dinner of some kind yeah or perhaps uh, uh the, we're rolling into uh march st patty season so they might have some potato dishes available but hey you know what you you will never know unless you go to bob evans to check them out for yourselves so bob well, evans tomorrow morning get, get yourself the anything breakfast yeah. or the everything breakfast yeah, yeah. Let's call. wash it down with a hot cup of joe <laughs> put a little have put a little cheese on it because uh as i've seen on the internet uh it ain't going down easy if it ain't cheesy that's right but um <laughs> yeah bob evans down on the farm go check them out right now see what they've got offering at your local bob evans uh i didn't really have a hot take for this uh outside of the fact that uh i mean i would say we but now don't take this uh, to mean that we don't like the movie. I do, but I think this is Nolan's do, worst yeah. movie. And that's and not that's not saying that's not saying that this movie's bad, but I think it speaks more to the the quality of work that Chris Nolan has put out. Well, let me, I would agree with you. Yeah, but. maybe outside of his first film. But like his first, like this is the worst major studio Chris Nolan movie that he's produced. I still, I still disagree. Dark Knight Rises is worse than this. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say no because it's, it's Batman and I, yeah, it's it's Batman, (laughs) dude. Like I'm not gonna fucking, you know, you make a solid Batman movie, you're a okay in my book. Okay, but. That's why you know, I flipped off. Disagree, I guess. That's why if he were alive and I seen him, I'd flip Joel Schumacher off. Like he ruined that's, fucking that's Batman true. for me. I'd flip him. I'd yeah. just like, dude, sit on it. But um, I would do the same thing to George Clooney. I, I would, I would flip him off and yell at him for being that Batman. I, I can't, I can't hate George Clooney. I, I love George Clooney. I wish I were George Clooney. I mean, I think everybody does, but. Even George Clooney knows he deserves hate for Batman, and yeah. then and then you you can after you give him his rec his uh, daily dose of 
hate for that role, then you can love him again. And give so. us flowers for Ocean's Eleven and Out of Sight and all the wonderful stuff he did post-Batman. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is Nolan's worst major studio movie. But, yeah, like I said, though, like, that's not a reflection of this movie being bad. I think it's just the fact that Nolan has done such stellar work throughout his 20 plus year movie career that, you know, a movie that 75% of movie audiences thinks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great movie. So, but it's, it's not as strongest. I'll agree with you there. It is definitely not his strongest movie. Plus, Bat- Dark Knight Rises has fucking... I-, I love Tom Hardy's Bane in that movie. I really do. Yeah, but it's also the most made fun of voice for Bane. He does. He sounds like... I When I hear him talk, it sounds like those old-timey like strong men at circuses, the ones that wear like, yeah. the, like the singlets with the, like, the handlebar mustaches. And they lift yeah. those dumbbells that like it's just a solid little pole with two round balls on it. It <laughs> yeah. says like eighty lbs. <laughs> it's very cartoonish. Oh yes, yeah. we go mobile. <laughs> we are going to go to Gotham. Now, Batman, don't look at the sun. You'll hurt your eyes. No. <laughs> um, that was a terrible impression. But um, Hey, you know what? We're, at, we're rolling into 10.50 p.m. at night. You and I have both worked long weeks. That's true. You know, we, didn't have, we didn't have time to rehearse this. Plus, like, we kind of did this movie last minute. So, um, But, yeah, I like Bane. I I like Batman. It's just that that movie kind of it it was it wasn't great. It, now when when you group it together with Batman films, it's definitely not the worst Batman film. Not not by a long shot, but Christopher Nolan movies, it's, it's one of his worst. But you're saying that as a reflection of it's a good movie, but in the Nolan verse, yes. okay, yes, okay. I was gonna say, don't don't shit on the Dark Knight Rises because it's a pretty cool movie. It just like it's, you said, it's, it's a weak Batman film for Nolan. Yeah, it's like pre like in, like pre NBA title Michael Jordan. Like he's still really good, but just he had better seasons. Right. All right, the Hall of Fame. This category, if uh, this actor or actress or director. Or, Anyone involved in the movie were being uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Would this particular film be on their Hall of Fame plaque? Um, Christopher Nolan. Now, this is very interesting considering what uh, is getting ready to come up. So I would say no also, but what would it be? Um, So Oppenheimer is probably going to be the thing that he's remembered for the most, especially if it wins Best Picture. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm going to say dark Knight. I think it's either the dark Knight or Oppenheimer. Um, I think Oppenheimer, honestly, if it wasn't a part of that whole Barbenheimer craze that we had over the summer, 
I would think it would be without a shadow of a doubt, the dark Knight. because, Oh really? Yeah. I mean, granted he wins, like you could always say Academy award winning director, but yeah, in terms of like being relevant in pop culture, I think if it hadn't been part of that whole Barbenheimer craze, most people are going to, if you say name a Chris Nolan movie, they probably would have said, oh yeah, the Batman one with Heath Ledger is the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. But now that Oppenheimer is big. It it brought it more into the mainstream, I guess, Barbenheimer. Uh, But its marketing was fantastic. Like, I, I think like the, uh, the trailers for it, um, the kind of style that they had was very intriguing. So maybe it doesn't make as big of a splash without Barbie, but I still think it is a contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's still like if it wins best picture, I mean, it's definitely got a, yeah. just as strong of a case, but I don't know. I would say I would probably lean right now towards the dark night, but after March 10th, yeah, take it or leave it with that or Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah. Um, John David Washington, obviously. Yes. I mean, he's really only known mm-hmm. for, uh, was really only known for ballers that HBO show with the rock mm-hmm. and being Denzel Washington's son. <laughs> Although I will say that he was in, Washington's son. Well, he was in Black Klansman. That's actually what got him this role, which Black Klansman's fantastic if you haven't seen it yet. I don't think I have seen that. Yeah, it's a story of a uh it's a black uh FBI agent who infiltrates the uh the KKK. Okay. Yeah, it's really it's Spike Lee, um two thousand eighteen, I think. Yeah, it's okay. it's really good. I, I highly recommend it. One Spike, I think it's one of Spike Lee's best movies. I'll probably watch it tomorrow. Then I'll try and find it somewhere. Uh, you share my voodoo. It's on our voodoo. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yep. Uh, last one, and I think this one's a very interesting case as well. What about Robert Pattinson? I don't think Ooh, this movie he's done is some great things. I yeah, don't know uh, the lighthouse and and even Batman out overshadow this one. I think. Um, I would say as of right now, I think it would be Twilight, the Twilight series, because mm. those movies were, I mean, granted it, the further away we go, you know, the less culturally relevant they become. But like, remember those movies were box office juggernauts for like, how many of those did they, they make? Were. Five? Uh, yeah, five. And each one of them was huge. Yeah, and it spawned a whole bunch of vampire madness because we got like, um, well, it also it also made the what do they call those the young adult novels? Yeah. They those became like like Hollywood started dipping into that well. Like, oh well, Twilight did good. Let's get something else. And if I mean, if Twilight hadn't succeeded, then we wouldn't have gotten the Hunger Games, which I mm-hmm. I did most of those movies when like the last one sucked. Yeah. The last one did suck. Um, and then was that insurgent? They did the insurgent. 
divergent, no, divergent. Yeah, it's insurgent, yeah. divergent, detergent, something else. <laughs> I never watched hat. them. Yeah, it's just a, it's just three long fucking like commercials for Tide. <laughs> it's like Tide's cleaning up the world, literally, one town at a time. <laughs> but I would, I would, I would say right now it's probably the Twilight's Twilight films, yeah. but. I think if Pattinson, like, if the second Batman movie is as big as the first one, then I think that might flip to Batman. Yeah, I think that Twilight is still relevant among the people that watched it back then. I don't think it's relevant to uh, new moviegoers. No, I don't think so either. I think teenagers today are not going to give two shits about Twilight, but... No, if and even if they watched it, they'd probably think it was corny as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> probably not. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. Even though I don't want to say that Twilight is his is his Hall of Fame, I'd rather give it to something like The Lighthouse or or even Batman or Good Time. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's Twilight. But yeah. Seriously, if Bat the second Batman is big, then I think you flip that and it becomes Batman. Yeah. Oh. Um, um last one we got, uh the Finding Forrester You're the Man Now Dog Award for the uh life lesson you've taken from this movie. Uh don't try to understand it, just feel it. Yeah, just feel it. And it already if, happened, so you know. Yeah, if you <laughs> if you go into the movie with that mindset, it it becomes a much more enjoyable experience. It does. If and you sit there, I mean, it, it's a good life lesson too. Just feel it. Yeah, that that could be with anything. You know, yeah. just don't don't try to figure it out. Just feel it. Go with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we uh, wrap this bad boy up, uh, Adam, got any last thoughts? Um. Yeah. Uh. I think this could be a hot take too. I don't know. Maybe it is, but I think that this is the um, most accurate, aside from the goofs that I pointed out before, the most accurate depiction of time travel. Like, because, I mean, if you don't do anything, then nothing happened. (laughs) The whole idea of if time travel were possible, then in some kind of reality, then it would have already been invented. (laughs) <laughs> you just so 11 o'clock at night you just blew my fucking mind <laughs> i'm gonna sleep i'm gonna go to bed tonight like man like i'm gonna sit there and ponder on that for a bit like man fuck somebody would have if it were could happen it would have already, already been in bed. yeah so that being said this is the most accurate depiction of time travel in a movie I'm going to disagree back to the future because as you've seen in back to the future too, when you go back in time and steal a sports almanac, it's going to fall in the wrong hands. It's going to create an alternate universe and shit's just going to go haywire. And then you have to go back and fix it. And then your best friend gets fucking struck by lightning and sent to the 1880s. That's heavy. That's very heavy. (laughs) I love I love the reference to the Back to the Future you just did there. Um, well, that's going to wrap it up for uh, this episode, gang. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please 
feel free to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can find our links to our social media sites in the show description below. Please give us a follow. Also, if you like what you heard here today, please take a couple minutes out of your time. Just, you know, real quick, you know, you could be doing it while you're uh, on the hopper at work, which I know I, I do that a time or two. Write us a quick review on Apple. You know, say, hey, Couch Potato Podcast, those guys, I, I like what they're doing over there. Or just so, something, some kind words. Uh, please feel free to do so. Uh, helps make the show better. Tells us what we need to improve on. So we do appreciate all those reviews coming our way. So without further ado, we will talk to you guys and gals next week. <laughs>